There's a good chance that you missed the news story when it made the rounds in late 2015. It was one of those stories that pops up on Twitter, content aggregators, or Reddit for a day or two, and then is quickly forgotten in favor of the next funny headline, human interest story, or novelty link. But for a few days, it captured a corner of the internet's attention, primarily for two reasons. First off, the visuals in the video were just so compelling, and frankly, sort of jarring. The second reason was because of the theories it sparked from internet communities that don't typically get a lot of mainstream attention. The video at the center of it all came from China. It appeared to show the silhouette of a massive city jetting out of a large cloud formation. And look, these weren't the types of clouds that could be mistaken for a variety of animals, shapes, or designs. This looked like a hard-edged, futuristic skyline sitting on top of the clouds. Commenters online posted a variety of theories as to what could be the cause of the ghostly city, but one refrain kept presenting itself. Maybe this was an early test of the technology Serge Manasse had warned us about when he first explained his Project Bluebeam ideas. For a quick reminder, back in episode one, we looked at a manifesto published by a Canadian investigative journalist and conspiracy theorist named Serge Manast. In it, he suggested that NASA and the UN were working together on a sinister plan to usher in a new world order by employing realistic, large-scale holograms and mind control technology that would make people question everything they thought they knew about reality. He called the plan Project Bluebeam. But not long after the manifesto was published, Serge Manask would be dead of an unexpected heart attack. At first, as the videos of the mysterious Cloud City were being widely disseminated, news outlets were quick to dismiss the viral clip as, a, you know, a funny source of clickbait, like this report that first ran on CNN. This video surfaced out of China, and it looks like their city is floating in the clouds. Of course, we can't verify if the video is real or not, but we have seen things like this before. This is a type of superior mirage called a Fata Morgana where air temperature near the surface is actually cooler than the air above. It can make objects appear like they are stacked on top of each other, or in this case, like a city floating in the clouds. Almost all of the initial reports dismissed the video as an example of a phenomenon called Feta Moranga, a type of mirage caused by common weather conditions. The stories all seem to explain away the odd visuals under the same guise, a sort of weather-created optical illusion. But then, Something strange happened that called their easy explanations into question. The mysterious ghost cities in the clouds? They kept showing up. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm a writer, a journalist, and a podcaster. And this is Hiding Something, Season 2, Ultra. Episode 4, Limits A few months after that first video showed what appeared to be a massive city jetting out of the clouds, CGTN News posted another odd video. This one showed a cloud formation over a large body of water, also with an extremely lifelike city skyline protruding from it. Here's the description of the footage on their official YouTube channel. Quote, a stunning mirage depicting a group of buildings was seen above the sea. Seen from land, it appeared as though the buildings were looming in the fog, resembling a fairy city on the sea. Take a look at this splendid scene, end quote. Okay, so then, a year later, another floating city appeared. 
Here's a description from the Daily Mail, quote, footage has emerged online of a floating city with tall buildings in the sky in China. The mirage left residents shocked when it appeared on June 6th. It's thought to be a, quote, phantom Maranga. A 25-second clip shows a transparent shape of tall buildings in the sky with clear structures, end quote. Then, a year later, another appeared. So here's the description of that video. Again, this is from CGTN News. On May 6th at 1500 hours, a ghostly block of apartments appeared above the sea. Although it remained visible for over two hours, few people seem to have noticed the floating spectacle, perhaps due to the fact that it occurred not far off the coast. Mirages rarely appear in this area. End quote. Here's one thing to note about CGTN News, the outlet that posted several of the videos showing the ominous-looking cloud cities. It's state-owned, meaning it's under the control of the publicity department of the Chinese Communist Party. Okay, then, in September of 2020, in another province in China, a silhouette of what appeared to be a massive medieval castle showed up in the clouds over a city block. Though the area is home to an apartment building which also has sort of these Hogwarts-style towers, the cloud castle appeared very clearly over a part of the city more than a mile away from that building. The videos are difficult to explain, but one refrain that keeps coming up in the non-Chinese news outlet's coverage of the clips is that they're actually Fanta Moranga, essentially a mirage caused by moisture in the air. However, the more you actually look into that explanation, the less it seems to hold up. Even casually looking at the videos, the city skylines don't look like visual anomalies. They look like actual buildings. But you don't just have to take my word for it. A YouTuber who goes by the name Dr. Disillusion decided to take a closer look at the original video and the news media's coverage of it shortly after it went viral in 2015. As he explains on his channel, Dr. Disillusion persona is a sort of superhero skeptic who debunks, quote, visual fakery. His stated mission is to provide, quote, fun and detailed explanations of current unbelievable viral videos that fool the masses, end quote. His videos have nearly 200 million views. Dr. Disillusion doesn't believe anything paranormal is happening in the videos, but he also seems reasonably certain that what the videos show is no mirage. After a few minutes of slick motion graphics to explain how mirages actually work, Dr. Disillusion explains why he thinks these explanations are probably bogus. Fata Morgana is an extra shimmery, multi-layered type of superior mirage that occurs in rare atmospheric conditions. But mirages are not hallucinations. All they do is displace the view of things that are actually there to begin with. They can make patches of the sky appear as lakes on the desert floor, or make distant boats seem to hover above the ocean's surface, but they can't make a futuristic metropolis manifest out of nowhere in a modestly developed area. And by the way, all mirages, including Fata Morgana, can only appear very close to the horizon line because that's the view at which the refractive properties of the different layers of air are most pronounced. He goes on to explain that he suspects that the mirage explanation went viral in the first place, basically because of lazy internet journalism. Whoever originally broke the story about the floating city video had their heart in the right place. They probably wondered if there was a natural explanation for the event and googled the word mirage. After enjoying the various enticing offers from a hotel in Las Vegas, they saw basic information about how mirages work and that one rare type is called Fata Morgana. They must have liked its evocative name and immediately picked it for their story. And then, a great game of journalistic hot potato began as the claim bounced from blog to blog without any examination. He suggests that the least unlikely possibility is that the video is a hoax and that the images were created with visual effects software. 
And look, it's not a bad explanation, but it doesn't explain the videos of similar cloud cities that would pop up years later. These ones on YouTube channels funded by and controlled by the Chinese government. Now, Doctor, this would be a very elaborate hoax. But what other explanation is there? Remember, Serge Manasse suggested that the UN and NASA were in possession of satellite-enabled holograms that were so realistic that they would be used to successfully fake a large-scale alien invasion. Presumably, if the videos from China are some sort of blue-beam experiment, that means China is also in possession of some sort of the same technology. Manasse said that the satellites would turn the sky into a movie screen. But look, Bluebeam is a conspiracy theory. The claims made by Serge Manasque are totally unverifiable. And though there are several explanations for the images seen in the videos from China, none of them really make sense. These don't look like any mirages that have shown up anywhere else. It is plausible that one news story made the mirage assumption and everyone else just sort of clung to it. But if the videos are doctored, who's responsible for the sporadic, increasingly elaborate and ongoing hoax? What would their possible motivation be? But if these did show a top-secret look at a technology that will be used to fool humanity, why would they be aired repeatedly on government-sponsored outlets? Wouldn't the government want to keep the technology a secret? Individually, none of these explanations make any sense. And another interesting note is that these Cloud City videos have only come out of China. So let's assume for a minute that these aren't mirages. And because the videos were released years apart and some aired on government-sponsored news channels, it seems unlikely they are part of some years-long hoax. So, for them to be part of a large-scale government experiment like Bluebeam, it would mean that two things are true. First, it would mean that governments are in possession of a technology capable of such a large-scale visual deception. And two, it would mean that governments test mind control measures on their own people. Let's start with that second assumption. How far are intelligence agencies willing to go in their quest for mind control? The ongoing humanitarian abuses perpetrated by the Chinese government are well documented, and the government there is known to tightly control information that the citizens can access. They've also shown a willingness to embrace controversial technologies that carry serious ethical concerns, like their ever-growing, quote, weather modification program. Recently, in December of 2020, the State Council of the People's Republic of China released a statement that explained, quote, China will have developed a weather modification system by 2025 with breakthroughs in fundamental research and R&D in key technologies, end quote. The scale of their weather modification program is massive. Currently, it covers an area larger than the entire country of India. And China has long experimented with what's known as, quote, cloud seeding, a method of cloud manipulation that can reportedly cause skies to clear and dry fields to get rained on. Those are all the facts we know for certain. To link the weird Cloud City videos to the country's weather modification program would be pure speculation, but we do have our answers to the two questions raised by the video. Yes, the Chinese government has a history of ignoring human rights concerns, and yes, they are in possession of some experimental, controversial technology. But what about the U.S. government? After all, Manas suggested that the U.N. would team up with NASA, which is an American institution, when he proposed this grand conspiracy theory. But before we look at any blue beam style research that our government could potentially have access to, we have to look at the other question. Just how far could they go in their search for mind control technologies and methods? To answer that question, I want to pick up the story of the CIA's mission to understand mind control from the last episode. When we left off, the Pentagon had commissioned a man named Andrea Bucharic to find a drug that could potentially enhance agents' psychic abilities. Bukharik was becoming a well-known and controversial figure in the intelligence world, 
He founded a secretive group called the Roundtable Foundation, which had ties to the Pentagon, to experiment with techniques that could potentially be used for remote viewing and ESB efforts, among other things the military was interested in. The army asked Buhark to locate a mushroom known as, quote, God's flesh, which they believed held untapped psychological power. Through the intelligence community, Buhark worked under a man named Sidney Gottlieb, and their search for God's flesh would eventually pay off. After locating the strange mushroom, Pukaric turned his attention to understanding psychedelics, eventually pinning a book called The Sacred Mushroom, Key to the Door of Eternity. It is a really trippy read, and much of it focuses on the experience he had with a Dutch sculptor named Harry Stone, who was said to channel an ancient Egyptian prince while scrawling hieroglyphics during his time experimenting with the mushroom at the Roundtable Foundation. Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, however, was much more pragmatic. A trained chemist, Dr. Gottlieb joined the CIA in his 30s, and within just two years, he became head of one of the agency's most infamous secret efforts, Project MKUltra. The project's ambitions were, frankly, unsettling. They wanted to understand and weaponize mind control. Whereas the Army would go to launch a program called Project Stargate that would focus on things like remote viewing, the CIA's MKUltra project sought to understand how to essentially reprogram someone's brain. Gottlieb may have partnered with Bukharik in his effort to locate the mind control drugs, but he didn't share Bukharik's fascination with the paranormal aspects of understanding the mind. Here's how journalist Stephen Kinzer, an expert in the MKUltra program, described Gottlieb's strategy. He said, quote, Gottlieb wanted to create a way to seize control of people's minds, and he realized it was part of a two-part process, he told NPR. Here's how Kinzer explained Gottlieb's approach to that two-part process. He said, quote, first, you have to blast away the existing mind. Second, you had to find a way to insert a new mind into the resulting void. We didn't get too far in number two, but he did a lot of work on number one, end quote. That work on, quote, number one involved a fascination with psychedelic drugs, like the mushrooms Bukharik was using at the Roundtable Foundation. Soon, however, Gottlieb will become obsessed with finding the limits of a drug called LSD, and he was given unchecked power as the head of MKUltra and began widespread experimentation with LSD and other drugs. At one point, he was literally able to purchase the world's entire supply of LSD and use it for his experiments. Soon, however, the experiments would get increasingly out of control as Gottlieb would continue to push the limits of the drug's use. Early on, Gottlieb would distribute the drug through voluntary programs at hospitals and clinics. In fact, much of the drug culture of the 1960s can find its roots in Gottlieb's MKUltra experiments. The famous poet Allen Ginsberg first got LSD from Gottlieb, as did Grateful Dead lyricist Robert Hunter and writer Ken Kesey. Soon, however, Gottlieb would forgo medical ethics and begin involuntary experiments, eventually moving his operations to CIA black sites in countries like Japan, Germany, and the Philippines. There, they would capture enemy agents who they deemed, quote, expendable and begin mind control experiments that in reality were nothing short of torture. Without concerns about government oversight, Gottlieb would create strange drug cocktails at the secret facilities, giving them to prisoners while also subjecting them to mental and physical torments like electrocution and extended sensory deprivation. Gottlieb was also accused of experimenting on his own unknowing CIA colleagues. What were you told at the time of your father's death? I was told that your father has had an accident. But that was the cover story told by the CIA. 
That's a clip from the trailer from the award-winning Errol Morris docuseries Wormwood, which tells the story of the late Army scientist Frank Olson. In the clip, you hear from his now-adult son. My father, Frank Olson, was an Army scientist. His research group had a relationship with the CIA. They take him to New York Tuesday morning, early Saturday morning, he's dead. What was my father doing? What was the CIA doing? What happened there? The released CIA documents deal with a project codenamed MKUltra. There was in it a story of a CIA experiment on an unwitting civilian who was given LSD. You're the one on stage tonight, Dr. Olson. <laughs> You're all a bunch of jokers. This has been the shift from thinking that my father's death was a mysterious suicide to knowing that it was a CIA atrocity. Told primarily from the Olson family's perspective, Wormwood tells the story of the mysterious death of Frank Olson, a scientist with the Special Operations Division of the United States Army Biological Warfare Laboratories. Here's what we know. In November of 1953, Olson joined Sidney Gottlieb along with several other scientists and CIA agents at a small cabin not far from their base in Maryland. While there, Olson and several others were reportedly drugged with some sort of potential truth serum that Sidney Gottlieb was working on. Whatever else happened in that cabin seems to have had a profound effect on Olson, but so had his past work with the military. After reportedly seeing prisoners die during interrogations involving the Korean War effort, Olson had already become disillusioned with intelligence. He was also concerned that the U.S. could be using biological weapons. So, days after he returned from the cabin, he attempted to resign from the biowarfare program, but he soon received a visit at his home from a CIA-affiliated doctor. Some of the details of the next few days are still a little hazy, but here's what we know. Together, they flew to New York, with Olson telling his wife that he was being taken to undergo psychiatric treatment. Days later, the manager of Manhattan's Starlight Hotel saw Olson fall to his death from the building. Police ruled the death a suicide, though the hotel manager that found Olson later told this to reporters. In all of my years in the hotel business, I never encountered a case where someone got up in the middle of the night, ran across a dark room in his underwear, avoiding two beds, and dove through a closed window with the shade and curtains drawn. It would be nearly 30 years until the family would learn of the details surrounding their father's death, and would learn of the horrors of Gottlieb's MK Ultra program thanks to the 1975 Rockefeller Commission, which forced the CIA to release information about them. Though Frank Olson's death is still shrouded in mystery, the Rockefeller Commission led to some small amount of closure for his family. The government settled a wrongful death lawsuit filed by the Olson family for $750,000, and the CIA admitted that they had given Olson LSD without his knowledge. The Rockefeller Commission revealed even more horrors related to the MKUltra experiments, but they also revealed the difficulty of using drugs for mind control purposes. At the end of the day, the commission revealed that oftentimes, drugs like LSD are just too unpredictable to attempt to weaponize. However, the stories of Frank Olson and the MKUltra program do answer one of the two main questions that we're asking this episode, the first of which is this. What are intelligence agencies capable of in their search for mind control abilities? If the MKUltra story tells us anything, it's that there were clear lines that were being crossed in the name of research. Limits were being pushed. But that still leaves us with a second question, and that question is, what are governments capable of technologically when it comes to mind control? The results of the MKUltra experiments may have soured the CIA's interest in psychedelic drugs, 
but it may have refocused some of their other interests. In 2018, thanks to a Freedom of Information Act request, the CIA released more documents related to MKUltra, and these revealed some surprising new anecdotes. Though several names have been redacted, the documents contain a report called, quote, Remote Control Behavior with Rewarding Electrical Stimulation of the Brain, along with a letter to an unnamed doctor about the program. In it, they write this, quote, as you know, I spent three years working in the research area of rewarding electrical stimulation of the brain. In the laboratory, we performed a number of experiments with rats. In the open field, we employed dogs of several breeds." End quote. Now, I want to read a portion of the actual report. It says, quote, The specific aim of the research program was to examine the possibility of controlling the behavior of a dog in an open field by means of remotely triggering electrical stimulation of the brain. Such a system depends, for its effectiveness, on two properties of electrical stimulation delivered to certain deep-lying structures of the dog brain, the well-known reward effect, and a tendency for such stimulation to initiate and maintain locomotion in a direction which is accompanied by the continued delivery of stimulation. That's right, they seem to be making remote-controlled dogs. By surgically implanting devices into the dog's brains, they were able to control them remotely, at least for a little while. The report states that, quote, behavioral control was limited to distances of 100 to 200 yards at most, end quote. But that letter is from the 1960s, decades before modern digital innovations. It's not unfair to ask, if that was the type of research happening 60 years ago, how far have mind control efforts come since? And are they anywhere close to what Serge Manasse suggested with Project Bluebeam? And what can they tell us about the videos, like the ones depicting cloud cities in China? For those answers, we'll need to look into one of the most controversial places in the United States, a massive facility in a remote corner of Alaska called the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program, and take a deep dive into what's actually happening behind its gates. That's next time on Hiding Something. Hiding Something is a production of the Ironclad Content Network. All episodes are written by me, Jesse Carey. Our editor and post-production producer is Chandler Strang. And hey, listen, if you like the show, be sure to leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcast. It really does help more people discover the show. All right, thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.